Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. And welcome to the AEW Rampage review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamper and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on Friday night's episode of Rampage. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts where we not only review AEW Rampage, but also AEW Dynamite, Raw, SmackDown, NXT pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a round of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review AEW Rampage. And a highly anticipated show this was, Sidge. Yes, it was. Um, my worry already about AEW Rampage, and you know, it's a one-hour TV show. If you can get 20 minutes of awesomeness in it, brilliant. That first week, it feels like they delivered something that they aren't capable of following through on a consistent basis. That first week, Every single minute of that show was incredible, like absolutely incredible. It now appears that the model is if you want incredible thing a week, mm-hmm. and I think people varied on what the incredible thing was or if it was that incredible. I thought it was tremendous. Um, but at the same time, I can understand why people didn't, but that's by the by. In terms of a strategy to get you to watch one amazing thing plus two things that would represent passable dips on a 7.5 to 8 out of 10 dynamite as opposed to the 8.59s. Is that appointment viewing? Is that a really great use of the third hour? I don't know. But I could have lived my entire life without watching that main event. I understand the strategy behind it. I understand the purpose behind it. I understand that temporarily building Pillman Jr. up with a loud, at times the word tired, supportive crowd as the backdrop, is going to make MGF, who's the real beneficiary of their little minor storyline, look like a reviled heel when he beats Pillman Jr. handily or underhandedly Mm. at Grand Slam. I get all of that. I'm just not particularly exhilarated by it. Um, It's like a third of killer and two thirds of filler on (laughs) Rampage. And after that debut, I'm expecting more from the show. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? Yeah, those benefits, um, the obvious like undercurrent of benefits that Rampage provides AEW are kind of being obscured by a, a just okay wrestling show. It's like as Cedric points out, like Pillman exists currently in this match and in this feud and this build that we got on Dynamite to put over MJF. But because this is on television and it does feel way more pressing than Dark or Dark Elevation did. 
he feels a bit more in front of people. So even when Brian Pillman leaves his term JF, as we all assume he will, uh, the Varsity Blondes slash Brian Pillman Jr. are going to feel like bigger deals off the back of it. Like you're kind of making somebody in a much smaller amount of time as a result of the match you had on Rampage and the mini build you used to, on Dynamite to set that up. And I would apply that thought process to the women as well. Um, I think the women's division is already seeing a really small um, benefit to Rampage's very existence. We've had two, unless I'm forgetting one, two Britt Baker matches on Rampage now that has ultimately required the story to be built on Dynamite to say, well, on this Friday, I'm going to do this. It's not necessarily addressing, well, how much exposure are the women getting on Dynamite, but across AEW's television output, it's increasing their exposure. It's bringing more people into the world and thus Britt Baker is finding herself with more opponents that you can theoretically see in between these, the Ruby Riots to the next pay-per-view to the next pay-per-view, sorry, Ruby Soho from the next pay-per-view to the next pay-per-view. There's going to be like loads of that as a result of Rampage's existence. And that really is tremendous. But like, it doesn't just let them off the hook for an average hour of TV. The hour so far has been such a treat. Like an okay hour is still just an hour. So it flies by. It's an, it's an enjoyable watch, but it's felt less than thrilling. And I think they've just, it's going to maybe take a little bit of a while to get all of those hidden benefits and bring them together with a, a genuinely pulsating feeling hour of wrestling television. I have faith they'll get there, but this week especially felt more about the benefits we couldn't see rather than the ones we could. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment from both of you. Let's dive straight into uh, into Rampage, though, because the show started with the highly anticipated Pac versus Andrade El Idolo match. Uh, we get a stare down to start things off, and then they exchange some forearms. Uh, Andrade hits him immediately with a shotgun drop, kicking just the El Tranquillo taunt. Um, then Pac hits uh, an arm drag, Rana El, uh, El Idolo goes outside. He, uh, Pac nails him with a dive and whips him into the barricade a few times and then hoys him into the ring. Uh, later on, Andrade springboards over the ropes and DDTs pack into the sodding ring apron, hardest part of the ring, that. Uh, and then they are battling onto the on the top rope and effectively Andrade does the Del Rio spot, but for once makes it believable. Double stomp into Pac's chest and he's trying to recover because his leg's been trapped in the turnbuckle. Uh, that takes us into the break. Come back. Andrade hits a lovely-looking split-legged moonsault from the top rope, uh, gets a two-count, uh, positions Pac uh, up on the top rope to go for some mad electric chair thing, but Pac uh, super as him off the top, uh, goes for a sunset flip powerbomb to the floor, uh, but uh, Andrade flips out of it and lands on his feet. That looked great. So Pac hits him with a super kick, uh, gets caught again on the top rope, but this time avoids uh, Andrade's double stomp and hits a top rope moonsault to the floor, careering into the barricade after that. He throws Andrade back into the ring, hits that 450 splash of his, goes for the cover, but Andrade is just close enough to the ropes to break up the count. So he pulls him away for that, sets up uh, for the black arrow, but Andrade rolls away. Uh, Andrade recovers, hits a Pele kick, goes to that hammerlock DDT, uh, but Pac counters it, hits a suplex, Goes for a springboard, uh, but Alidolo catches him with a fireman's carry, which Pac then counters into the brutalizer. It looks like he's going to submit. When all of a sudden Andrade's translator, I believe it's called Jose, jumps up on the apron. For some reason, he's got a taser, which understandably takes the referee's attention. Um, in amongst all that as well, of course, the Lucha Bros run down to... to Pull Jose off the uh, off the apron. That all that, as I said, distracts the referee. That allows Charbo to come in and twat Pack with his iPad. Uh, and Ali Delo recovers, 
and covers pack for the pinfall. Uh, we'll talk about that actually, and then we'll talk about what happened post match. Um, Sige, we had high hopes going into this. We heard good reports from the people who were there when this was taped. Uh, a mixed reception, I think it's fair to say, in the What Culture Office talking about it this morning. How did you receive this match? See, I thought it was tremendous, but the reports, and this is sort of the other side of the coin mm. uh, when it comes to non-spoiled um, quality assessment mm-hmm. reports from spoilers, I heard the phrase is classic bandied around. It wasn't classic. It was like the four and a half plus star level. If I was going to rate it, I would have it four stars, which means it's a tremendous match, but maybe it was a victim of the hype. Yes, there was a bit uh, like, for example, early on in this match, sorry to interrupt, but there's a bit early on in this match because we'd gone in with like Sean Ross, I'm saying you need to watch this and people really bigging it up. It's quite early on and there was a this is awesome chant. And I don't know whether, I I feel like it must have been because of the reports because I'm never really that asked about this is awesome chant unless, you know, I want to get behind it or whatever. And I sort of sat back and folded my arms and was a bit like, "Eh, is it awesome? And then later on, I thought it was a a really, really good match. But yeah, like you say, a victim of its own hype here. To a degree, I did think it was tremendous. Mm. uh, Outside of the finish, of course, which I'll get to momentarily. But look, the mega fans will will forgive me for regurgitating (laughs) take on Twitter. But in terms of the way it was worked, the way that the counters were strung together for the drama, the moves that were deployed... It wasn't unlike most video game matches you see, Hmm. but the metaphor I used was that the collision detection was absolutely unreal. It felt like they were really, really like properly bashing into each other. Hmm. Every dive really felt like it had a snug connection about it. Like, you know, when you play a game, and I don't really play them that often, but when you hit something, it just feels incredibly satisfying. (laughs) Like, that was this version of video game wrestling. I've seen more spectacular moves in AEW, no less, but they don't really seem to hit with as much of a connection. I don't know if it's just because that's the way Pac works or if it's just Andrade's new body or what, but uh, if this is the Andrade we're going to get and we get it consistently going forward, I'm happy with this Andrade. It's not quite the explosive Andrade of 2018, but this is very much, if he's going to have that body and look that much like a piece, if he can work <laughs> like this and make it look like he's really hurting people in the process, mm. then yes. And then the best thing about working with that body that he has is that when he does something actually spectacular, like incredibly rapid, incredibly convoluted, and he pulls it off, it just looks unbelievable. We got elusive glimpses of this version of Andrade in this match, and I thought it looked incredible. The timing on that DDT no. and how he didn't just fall on his arse was unbelievable. The, um, the torneo that he did looked great the amount of mid-air rotations and how quick they were. Again, when he's doing it with that body, I think that's what he's going for. (laughs) It looked unbelievable. As you said, um, the craft of the Del Rio spot was almost as reassuring as Andrade doing ridiculous things with that ridiculous body. He just grabbed his hand and kept him in position until he steadied his feet. He didn't just, right, you just touched that. (laughs) Hold on. no reason, hold on. When you've got no reason to hold on, and I'm going to stamp your chest in. Like he, at the last second before he launched, like he had held his hand and Pac was trying to scramble away. So there's a level of thought and detail and care put into the transitions. The actual moves themselves looked really, really meaty. The content of the match and the way it was structured wasn't too dissimilar to the base level of what would class as a capital G, capital M match, but it's the physicality I really mm. got a lot out of. Uh, the finish, 
Oh, I don't know if it's the end of Shavo Carrero that can use stun guns and iPads and <laughs> all this confusing messaging, all alike. So the idea is Andrade was annoyed that Chavo cheated yes. on his behalf and had a temper tantrum and expelled him from this bizarre group that he's in. The translator was going to cheat first. Did he not see that? Could he not watch it back? What? I don't understand what I'd like to know on. what the translator was going to do. He's going to taser. <laughs> taser. Taser back. <laughs> Maybe Pac didn't want to do a job. I don't know. So he's had... He currently had... Hang on, maybe I've got this wrong. How many managers and how many matches has he had? Because by my count, it's two He's each. had more associates yeah. than yeah. matches. He's had two matches in AEW. And between Vicky, Jose, the translator... I think so. ...and Chavo Guerrero, he's had three people in his team. <laughs> in his and, team. and we all kind of can guess where he's going next. Yeah. After hating the idea of cheating... He's going to potentially, if rumours are to be believed, draft in the dirtiest player in the game. But maybe the dirtiest player in the game, that being Ric Flair, can teach him, well, don't be pissed off at cheating. That's how you win. You know, like, otherwise it's yeah. a stupid plot hole. But a stupid plot hole is kind of what I expect at this point from the Andrade run. Yeah, post-match, uh, if you're unaware, he, uh, like you said, he was informed that he'd been aided in his victory by Chavo. So decked him. And just left him to the Lucha Bros, who double super kicked him. They hoid him into the ring and he got brutalized for a painful amount of time by Pac, who was just yanking on his neck. Uh, Hamlet, what did you think of the controversy at the end and this match? Well, think is the word. I bang on about whether or not I'm thinking or whether I'm feeling all the time when I'm watching wrestling. Because um, it's where I get my most I think, enjoyment out of it. And I was just watching all of this thinking, this is a good match, rather than feeling it. Like almost all the way through, I remember thinking again, like how tight everything was and how well worked and well executed it all is. But that's not going to make me like buy a ticket or a t-shirt, you know. So I was, I was wanting to feel something. I mean, I got that when Pack absolutely destroyed Chavo Guerrero. Um, I got that when I felt like we are finally done with this latest, like bland chapter of Andrade's start of life in AEW. But I. I don't think I got it at any point in the match. It's really, really tough. Um, it's a spoiled bastard take that there is just so much high-quality in-ring wrestling now that you're almost looking for something more if if you're the type where that's not enough. And it just wasn't enough for me here. I don't know if a pretty lousy story was part of that as well. You know, had the story been great between these two rather than bad admin, then maybe that would have contributed something to the emotional heft that felt like was lacking from this otherwise decent work. Nice thing I can say, other than Charvo being written out, which really is great. Like, I don't understand that. But nice thing I can say is just to sort of add to what Cedric was saying about um, Andrade's body. I thought he had a hell of an engine here. Um, my biggest issue with this new frame, I, I love blokes that look like that in wrestling. I'll take <laughs> 10 more of them. Don't get, Like, don't sort of misunderstand me. But my biggest issue with how Andrade looked was how I felt like, like Kenny Omega was like pulling him around by the arm in their match. Like he looked knackered with it. And I was like, look, if that, I saw it with Triple H, I saw him kill the awesome wrestler in himself by becoming bigger in 2002. If you're going to like kill one thing by becoming another, go back to being the first thing. And maybe this was an exhibition of the compromise because I didn't see any of that here. Like I kind of imagine 
the work that wrestlers have to put into to keep in cardio, let alone when you carry around a body like that. You know, Pac does it and we never even think about it. And he's had that frame for years. Andrade had it here too. And I think he deserves praise for that because I certainly think that was at the centre of a lot of the grief he took from the Omega match. Um, if he's going to wear this frame, he was wearing it well here. Certainly in a lot of chicken and broccoli. Uh, right, let's move on to uh, the interview with Sting and Darby Allen, uh, responding, of course, to uh, Tully Blanchard's comments from Dynamite. Uh, Darby Allen gets the mic straight away and just calls Sean Spears a generic piece of sh- who's ridden Tully Blanchard's coattails. Uh, they're going to face off on Dynamite this week, I want to say. Yes, yes, and this is preview fair, but before the Sammy Guevara match, I would not be looking forward to this particularly, but I'm bang up for it. Yeah. Sean Spears rules. Yeah. I think I want Sean Spears to win. Uh, well, that. Um, so then uh, Sting gets on the mic, yells, calls out Tully Blanchard for riding Ric Flair and Arn Anderson's coattails for years. Uh, and uh, yeah, he fancies having a fight. Out comes Tully talking about the numbers game. This, of course, is all a ruse to distract Sting uh, and allow Sean Spears to sneak in, pull Alan out of the ring and hit him with a Death Valley driver. And uh, Tully boasts about that as he as he heads off. We sort of talked about this on the preview, Sige. But, I mean, are we heading in that direction of Sting and Tully stepping into a ring together, not just to cut promos? Yeah, they're probably going to do Sting and Darby versus Tully and Sean Spears. We might even set it up on Wednesday. Um, this angle didn't do anything for me, if I'm being honest. It didn't do anything that a match graphic couldn't. Mm-hmm. In fact, the weird like almost insulting, they're going to have a match and you're going to be reminded that they're going to have a match. (laughs) Like blocking of this segment was less than ideal and pretty much worthless because it just made Sting look like an idiot. Um, It made the baby faces look a bit daft for falling for the ruse. I knew the match was happening because they told me on Wednesday, this was just 48 hours removed from the match graphic. It didn't need any juice. Didn't need like a grudge. A pointless waste of time, if I'm being perfectly honest, this one. I think not every single one of AEW's bizarre and often brilliant dynamics, such as this tag match, like needs much more than that original. Like you get the first mention of it on Dynamite, that's pretty much enough. The less you say about that, the better over the, the following seven days after the fact. Tully's just said it. I cannot believe that. We all get this moment where we all get this daft little cackle or this pop of, wow, Tully Blanchard's going to want to wrestle Sting and that's probably going to happen. The more you labour on, like, and it's really hard for them to know which ones are going to be the ones that you shouldn't go near again. But this was an example of that, I felt. Like, let that ruminate for a week and waste would probably be the word because well, there's countless people that they maybe could have done something different with. This was just, I think this was just poor man management, maybe poor selection of what to use in this in this precious 60 minutes. It was just there. And like the problem with AEW broadly is that they do try and do too much. Every long-term program needs to be a saga. Mm-hmm. And every one-off, and this might splinter into something else, but everything that's one-off on the face of it needs some kind of post-match angle. It's like, does it? Mm. Does it really? Sometimes some of the joy when you go back and watch a Nitro, after which this show was patterned, is the random quality of certain parents. And in fact, it adds like very subtly over time to like the suspension of disbelief and the immersion. If matches just happen with the idea of, oh, they're for a ranking, or all oh, people would like to see this, or oh, the promoter thinks it's a good idea, you don't have to do a post-match 
or an angle to shoot literally everything you do. It just becomes contrived and obligatory. And as I said, somewhat insulting, given that do they not trust you to remember that the match is happening? I'd rather they did all of the work than none of the work. But again, we've, we're long past the time where comparing things to WWE is just a waste. And it's underneath AEW to make those comparisons at this point. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Before we go any further though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Couple of video packages followed all that. It was uh, Adam Cole and Brian Danielson basically discussing their futures in AEW. Uh, Cole talks about what it means to be elite. They're the best. He says fans respect Brian Danielson and Christian Cage because their bodywork is so special. But Cole boasts he's not even in his prime yet, and he would mop the floor with Brian Danielson. Danielson, meanwhile, says the uh, he talks about the way the elite dress. Uh, you know, they look insecure. He's going to go after. You know, he'll fight anyone, but he's after one specific member of the team. He'd love to face Kenny Omega in his first match. But if he isn't stepping up, someone else will. Uh, everyone is hungry around here, he says. So let's go. What do you think about these teasing? Not just their futures, I suppose, Hamlet, but potentially facing each other down the line. Yeah, great. Great. Um, the I love the idea that Brian doesn't want to mess about. Um, he's listened to not just like Michael Sidgwick willing it into existence all these years, but the calls of the fan base at large for a match that seemed impossible. And he wants to get to that point. Like I respect, like I, that's not him ducking anybody. I admire that about him. Um, it's a man that knows his worth and knows his, his time and all that sort of thing. Um, 
And what a great way to fold Adam Cole into that. The idea that he believes he is can do all these things that everybody else can do. But as we talked about on our own Adam Cole podcast, he's still so much younger than all the rest of them. He can <laughs> like objectively argue that he's got all the things that all these other stars have got, but he's got 10 more years to do it than the rest of them. So really, really cool and a nice way to potentially build this match if you're going to have it instead of... like You are talking about one dream match while showing us another one. How can that not be awesome? Yeah, no, this is awesome. Two really nicely delivered promos in an economical uh, time slot. I like... See, I don't mind either way. As long as I get Danielson versus Omega, I'd be a happy one. <laughs> and they're going to do this direction. I'm caught between two minds on whether it's really cool and really necessary at some point for Brian Danielson or a Brian Danielson to say, I got headline WrestleMania this year. I willingly made the jump, having headlined WrestleMania. Do I need to be ranked? Realistically, do I need to be ranked? Do I need to do a four-match dark run to do this? Then a part of me thinks, well, everybody else did. So what kind of baby face? <laughs> so I'm caught between two minds, to be honest. But this appealed to both of my minds, this one promo. The idea is that he's alluded to the fact that he doesn't mind whoever he faces if Omega's going to continue to duck him, then that means he will go through the ranking system. Yes, Hamlet feels like a student in my class. <laughs> could they, um, could Kenny say, well, I'd love to face you, but unfortunately, you need to go through the rankings. I don't know if you've uh, seen how it works around here. And then they book an unsanctioned match, not for the belt, and Brian beats oh. Omega. In, a non, in an unsanctioned non-title match. Same way as what they've done with Britain Thunder Rosa. So Brian knows he can. It's just now he's got to get back to him the old-fashioned way. And then you leave that there until another title match or by the time Brian gets to him, Omega's already lost to Hangman Page and there's that, you know what I mean? But you get the match without the title right now. As much as I like the thought of that, they've created an expectation of what a lights-out match in AEW looks like. There will be gorehounds who don't like the idea that it won't be a ridiculous claret drenched bloodbath. And I, and I, you know, I love Dave Meltzer. I respect him deeply. Without his work, I couldn't do mine. But at the same time, I don't want the discourse of Dave Meltzer on every single Wrestling Observer radio talking about how it's disgusting that Danielson and Omega are doing the light, lights out match. <laughs> it doesn't have to be lights out. It could just be unsanctioned. Either it way, non title. It could just be non title. Yeah. I'll face you, but you're not challenging for this because you're not in the rankings. Yeah. Either way, they know what we know and what we like about the system and how the system means as much as the stars because you kind of need one without the other. I think Dave Meltzer, again, I don't want to bury the guy. He's, like, he's one of my... Well, he's one of my freaking heroes. That's ridiculous. But I respect him immensely. But he's talking about... I oh, should just do Megan Danielson as quick as they can because it's going to draw the most money. It's like there are core principles that AEW fans adore mm. about this company the meritocracy is one of them but they know that about the fans they're not just going to do Danielson versus Omega straight away for the title I don't think so anyway this promo alluded to that fact but it was Coles that I was most impressed with like my god he just fits in this company so well and if you think about white, how white hot it is that says everything about his star power he set up matches with Christian Cage and Brian Danielson here he's already set up matches with Jungle Boy I don't know if he's just cannier with his promos than Danielson is at this point in this company, but Adam Cole has teased something with Omega. If you look the way that they kissed 
the young bucks kissed Ume, uh, mm. Adam Cole. If you look at Omega's head, he kind of peers over. It's a great shot. So there's an Omega tease. Uh, Omega, Kenny Omega teased. He's not a manager. <laughs> so Adam Cole is teased. Kenny Omega in this promo on Rampage, Danielson and Christian Cage. And of course, he super kicked Jungle Boy in the face. Four matches, Adam Cole. Win them all, you know, peace. Or he could manage Keith Lee. Call that a boom. You know, either or. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the trios match. It was Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter and Rebel versus Ruby Soho, Chris Statlander and Riho. Uh, I'm going to fly through this because there's a spot that me and Sage really want to talk about. Um, early on, uh, Statlander hits Baker with a power slam, gets a near fall off that. Um, and she also does this spot where she sort of picks Rio up and carries her. Rio just kicks Rebel in the chest. Uh, Ruby, what so- video game is that from? I don't know. I feel like I I remember something like that. The, Is it Mortal Kombat? Yeah, something like that. Either that or like Street Fighter or something. Or <laughs> either that or yeah, the other one. Either that or that other one. What about Tekken? <laughs> Ooh, could be Tekken. Virtua Fighter? Guess who I was when I used to play Tekken? Eddie, of course. Uh, right, Ruby Soho gets the hot tag. Uh, she comes in. Dead or alive? The perverts out there. Only saw the pictures of the, the cover. Yeah. Uh, anyway, where is where is she? Uh, she's uh, working over Hater, forearm super kicks. Um, Statlander comes in. They try to double team Hater, but they really put over the power that Hater's got. She uh, gets a near fall on Statlander after hitting her with a back breaker. In comes Rebel. She and Hater try to double suplex Statlander. This time, Statlander counters in suplexes both of them. Um, Statlander goes for a pin on Rebel. Statlander. I've got to save that for the preview this week. <laughs> God bless Chris Shannon. Um, as she's trying to pin Rebel, Baker comes in with a meteor to break it all up. Uh, they knock Baker down. Rio climbs on Rio climbs onto Statland's shoulders, goes to do his big stomp on her, but Rebel sacrifices herself, throws herself on top of Baker, to which Rio goes, fine, I'll just do it to both of you then. Uh, double stomp on them. Um, Baker uh, rolls to the outside. Uh, Soho hits her... I don't know what it's called. It's not got a right kick anymore. Soho kick, whatever it's called, uh, on Rebel to get the one, two, three. Uh, but never mind all that bollocks because I want to talk Hamlet about that bump that Jamie Hayter took just before the finish. She's on the outside. Riho has just done the double stomp onto Rebel and Baker. She goes up top and she does basically, it's quite simple. I mean, it's not quite simple for you and I, but it's quite a quite simple maneuver in terms of just a crossbody to the outside. But oh my God, Jamie Hayter's sell on this is incredible. And it's all we've been talking about in the office today. What did you think of it, Hamlet? And, and the match, of course, itself. It was tremendous. And that's two in a week now from Jamie Hayter because it was her that took, I was very complimentary to that red velvet spear in the Battle Royal. And it was Jamie Hayter that took it and like folded herself in half for the full impact. So that's twice in a week that she is sort of developing. And this is not a bad thing for a change. I'm invoking his name, a Dolph Ziggler style reputation of uh, like bumping for people showing off like, uh, you know, physical attributes to the benefit of others. Hugely beneficial in wrestling. And I like this match, you know, really, really liked it. Um, it was not there. I wasn't worried because I think the standard of the people involved, maybe with the exception of Rebel, not Reba, Reba, well, not Rebel. Don't, just don't work it. Well, this is it. Like some of the some of the botches that she's been involved in in the past have been immersion breaking. They've been too glaring. You know, we don't pick on botches on this podcast, but then too glaring. There wasn't any of that here. Um, it was 
Ruby Soho's, I would argue, probably from an in-ring point of view, it was her best night in the company so far. Um, and, you know, like three appearances in a week as well. So she's hit the ground running. Um, yeah, just like it was formulaic, but in all the best ways, you know, like the baby faces got proper, proper shine. They start like after the fact when Britt Baker inevitably beats Ruby Soho, which she will. I didn't get the feeling that Ruby Soho is just going to disappear from view mm-hmm. like Hikaru Shida did. Um, or for that matter, Chris Statler. Chris Statlander won't now, even though she's just lost again. Again, this was like probably mm-hmm. the best example of Rampage showing itself as a as a benefit to AEW beyond the obvious because Statlander's lost on a pay-per-view and then hasn't just gone. Now she's mm-hmm. there, fair enough. She's sidelined to Ruby Soho, the next opponent, but she's easily been brought back into the story. She's played a big part in this match and now going forward, like you could well see her being involved in a story that isn't related to the title or isn't related to her like colleagues on the male roster. Um, representation and showcasing, I know is like the most generous of positive praise, but I think that was like on show here and I like that. Yeah, just a word on Ruby Soho. One thing I thought about during this is uh, my good colleague, Phil Chambers made an excellent point when we were talking about her on, on WrestleCulture, saying how much, you know, she's got her own style and doing WWE, it was like they were forcing her to be WWE female wrestler because she's got a new unique look, obviously. And, uh, you know, she's got all this background that they just went, ignore you know, all that. You're a WWE wrestler now. And I just felt like more so than arguably anything we've seen so far, this was exemplified in her work in this match. She came in. Yes, she got the hot tag. So it was going to really catch your eye and what have you. But... She's not being forced to, you know, cookie cutter it like she would in WWE. To quote Kenny Omega's impersonation of Harley Ray, Ray Fonda, man. <laughs> <laughs> I could do some things with you. <laughs> well, looks great. Ray Fonda, man. I love the way he says that. I love to spell it out phonetically. Ray Fonda, man. Just like little tiny things. That when you see them done, you think, what, what, why is no one else doing that? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When she's about to get hip tossed, instead of taking the bump, she'll wrench the person's arm back as if to say, I don't want that move done to me mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. getting slammed to the canvas hurts. Like getting bumped should be avoided at all costs. It creates space between moves drama. It, invo- it avoids needing to bump, which Hits, and they can only do so many of over their lifetime and cast the spell of ah that hurts and when they do hear a big move it's worked for yeah them. yeah it means, yeah, yeah. Her, great fun of man even like the best you're gonna get <laughs> out of reba in this context is in this context trios matches yeah like even in tags when she's barely in them her work is too immersion breaking and it's too cheeky She's so much better. Just, just great in her job. Mm-hmm. She's just, she just, she should just do that. Like Reba Rebel has been in like more rampage matches than like Kenny Omega and Christian Cage. And like, it's uh... anyway, her work, her selling was funny in a nice little like quasi live event spot that sometimes works on telly. Like that spot did the Mortal Kombat deal. It was all strung together nicely. There wasn't a moment wasted. It got the right result. Rio looked incredible. Statlander looked very good. Jamie Hayter's bump. I'm going to say the nicest thing I've ever said about anything on this podcast. I've seen 
some of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time take Hiroshi Tanahashi's high fly flow to the outside and not one of them took a bump as good as this. It's so good. Like, I've been funny, like Dark Elevation is going to be the four-hour tapings. Dark Elevation, two hours of Dynamite, then Rampage on the ones where Rampage isn't live. And Dark itself's moving to the all elite zone in Universal Studios. Scrap Dark Elevation as well. Just have the Jamie Hater reps hour. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I've seen her flub some lines in the matches since her return. And yet the moments where she nails things, you could have the best women's wrestler in North America. I'm going to put my ass on the line. You could potentially have the best women's wrestler currently operating in North America once she gets those reps in. She could be that unbelievable. So scrap dark elevation. Jamie Ra- Jamie Hater reps hour. For an hour, she can work three matches every week, like a proper old-fashioned loop. Don't have to film them. She'll have a pretty good record. She'll be the champion if you did. If you did, she could be the best. She just needs reps. <laughs> Do not sideline her. Get her working mm. as often as you can. Three matches a week for an hour against Serena Deep. And you just have <laughs> progress. Yeah. After another. I've, I've got to get it out now. I was going to say it as you were talking about it, but you, you're saying effectively there that she could be one of the best female US rest, best US wrestlers in. She could be Right. Hate immunity. Uh, we have the usual uh, split-screen interview. Max Caster, Brian Pillman Jr., ahead of the main event. Uh, Max Caster, sick of Pillman having so many fake friends. There won't be any here tonight. Uh, and Anthony Burns with a great line says, Caster is going to beat up Pillman's Save by the Bell reunion-looking face. Uh, Pillman's going to prove uh, if Caster can back up his talk because they're in Cincinnati and Pillman is coming at him 100 MPH. I like Mark Henry's beaming face. Yes. I think he like takes the time off the matches by about 30 seconds because he's not particularly tight with his stuff. But he just looks like he's ready to go. Mm. And I am too. This match I wasn't really ready for. It wasn't that good. But you know, I, I like I like that. I wish he wasn't a commentator at all because I like that. I think yeah. that main event side by side thing every week is great. It's unique to rampage, gives Mark Henry a purpose beyond just trying to get a word in on that in that former beef. I like him. Like I think that that's what he should be just kept exclusive for that, I think, because he's good in it. Yeah, it does work really well as a little setup thing. Uh, we're all intrigued to see how Max Caster was going to treat this. He comes out, raps about Cincinnati, slags it all off, and says a bowl of Skyline chili looks like, careful, you're a thin ice, Caster. You can't say the word that is said on Dynamite more often than told Pace to a cedar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was fine. Uh, Pillman's got Bengals-themed gear, which I'm sure Hamlet will have loved. He runs in immediately, uh, goes to work attacking Max Caster. Uh, but Caster actually gets a near fall quite early on after a knee drop. The story of this match that, uh, that we'll no, no doubt repeat is, uh, you know, Caster having to rely upon Anthony Bowens, causing a distraction to allow him to take control of Brian Pillman Jr. That happened quite early on. Caster hits him with a back suplex, chucks him out to the floor. Caster takes the ref and Bowens just lays in some work on Pillman Jr. as Caster is distracting Aubrey. Um, Pillman, though, recovers after uh, hitting uh, Caster in a, with a boot as he charged towards him and goes to the flying forearm, hits that, hits a clothesline, goes up top again. Bowens distracts him. Um, 
So Pillman dies out, hits a top rope crossbody on Bowens. And I was just like, oh, I wasn't as good as Jamie Haters. Right. <laughs> I was disappointed then at that point. Uh, Pillman, though, as he comes back in, good move, not nevertheless. But as Pillman comes back in, Caster catches him with a drop kick. Um, he, uh, he looks like he's got the match won uh, after beating him up around ringside. Throws him back in, goes to the mic drop, but uh, Pillman gets out of the way and then hits him with the air Pillman, that springboard clothesline for the victory, a hometown victory for Brian Pillman Jr. He celebrates, the roof comes off the place, he celebrates with his family, um, but as he uh, is you know, enjoying his victory, Bowens jumps Pillman, uh, both members of the acclaim beat him down when who should run down to make the save, but another hometown hero who's very grumpy, one John Moxley. Pamphlet, any more teasers you spotted here of an impending turn? And again, your thoughts on the main event. I thought in terms of Moxley, it was just right. Like while he's in, while he's in the hometown and while he's still one of the company's top baby faces, absolutely use that rub. And it, and it was a rub, you know, that endorsement. You might not get too many more of these out with John Moxley, so get one here. And so I thought that was pretty inspired, all things considered. I mentioned, obviously, on Wednesday that he wasn't out for one. And I guess this is why, it's going because he was going to be out for the other when Cincinnati needed saving. Second time around, he was there. So the match was, like, fine. It was, like, really competently worked. I like both guys. Um, it followed a... Well, an easy to follow formula, but it, I just wanted to talk about like Brian Pillman Jr. for a second because for years I was like I kept him at arm's length because every time I checked in, he was cosplaying as one version of his dad to such an extent that I couldn't get involved in any of his matches. It was like, oh, you, oh, you're not just like, oh, this was like my dad's favorite T-shirt, and I'm going to use this. Like, oh no, you're actually wrestling as the Leeds Cannon. Oh no, you're a Hollywood blonde this week. Oh, you know, whatever it was. Um, but fair play to him because he's a pretty damn good 1988 Brian Pillman. Um, uh, he's this might be the one that he's mastered in a way that he can take forward himself. The other ones start like cosplaying. It's starting to feel like now he's imbibed with the spirit of his father rather than just being him. And there was still plenty of him, you know, like Air Pillman and that flying crossbody. It's quite. I know, like you know, we have this with second generation wrestlers, but it is really quite remarkable how much he looks like those early days, quite green. Brian, but that's why that's the one that he fits best is because like yeah. Brian Pillman of the late 80s was still fairly green. Um, but he wears this one really, really well. And as simplistic as this was, I believed I was watching Brian Pillman Jr. rather than Brian Pillman Jr. playing Brian Pillman. And like, I mean that in the nicest possible way as well, because I thought that was an issue with the old versions of himself. It's getting better. Uh, they're going to get him as ready as they possibly can do for the MJF match, which I think will go down a storm. I think MJF is going to know just how to ground him in such a way that's going to make the audience fume and get people so fired up for these basic common garden high spots, but it's all about how you use them, not necessarily like how well you perform them. So yeah, this was all for Pillman Jr. And in that case, it was quite effective. Yeah, it's just very solid, kind of bland work in this match, if I'm being honest. The about Pillman Jr. And it's like, it's a weird thing to say this, but that episode of The Dark Side of the Ring, which have leaned on heavily to build this mini push, is humanized the guy, like because Pillman Jr. had a similar experience watching um, as Hamlet. Like, it's like, oh, he can't possibly be your dad. That will not work. It's, I couldn't tell if I thought it was weird or like heartbreaking that he was playing like his dad, but instead he is now using some of his dad's most famous spots and he comes off as like the most nice bloke who's had a proper survivor story where you can't not profoundly respect. So realistically, I'm saying this match is 
pretty basic. I'll never remember it as long as I live. The crowd were pretty exhausted. I just remember a lot of punches and kicks in that, yeah. in that weird 10 years ago WWE way um, with the odd high spot sprinkled in. But yeah, this wasn't a TV main event. Mm. I'm going to be brutal here. It was not a TV main event. I don't think... Hometown pop, that's my it, really. I but... God. I want some heat, goddammit. Yeah. I want some heat at this point. I mean, we've got it on Wednesday. <laughs> Couldn't ask for more heat than what MGF brought. But you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yes, you're positioning your TVs around at least one hometown baby face gets a nice sweet moment. And that's fine. In the second or third or fourth match. Like the main event of this thing that you said is of equal importance to dynamite. This ain't this ain't headlining a dynamite. So should be headlining a rampage if I'm to take their copy mm. of marketing seriously. I don't know. I'm usually a nice guy. I think that's a, a fair assessment. Uh, and be intriguing to see how they book Rampage going forward. Uh, because, like you say, spoiled for choice at the moment. And uh, it's almost like they're getting their ducks in a row on this Rampage. Now they've got all these new pieces to play with. And maybe uh, maybe that's just a testing of the waters. Like you say, hometown reaction aside, it was just a match that we will you know, it's, it's a means to an end and, and we will forget instantly, I suppose, after this week. But let us know. Your... I can't get jazzed about that. No, exactly. I want to get jazzed. Yeah. Let us know your thoughts on AW Rampage on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to WhatCulture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Got the Smackdown Review available right now and the Monday Night Raw preview to come later on today. But for now, this has been the AW Rampage review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us and we will see you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, 
plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.